everybody, and welcome to another episode of The List. We are almost done with this bye week, and we are back. As always, my name is Brett. On the other end of the tin can and string is Jordan. How are we doing today, Jordan? Well, the bye week's actually been kind of nice and refreshing. I had a chance to catch up on some sleep. I went to the UCF game on Saturday and saw my team finally play well. I got added to a new Madden league that uh, simulates 20 years into the future. Um, so I'm playing as the Dolphins in the year 2043. Um, so the bye week's been pretty productive. How about you? Pretty good. I caught up on sleep, too. It was nice not to be stressed out on a Sunday. Actually, you know I'm a soccer fan, but this is how much of a sicko I am. I woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning to watch the U-17 World Cup. USA won their opening game against South Korea. Uh, we actually have a chance to go pretty far in this U-17 World Cup, but that just tells you how much of a sicko I am when it comes to soccer. Um, do we have any players on that team that are going to play on the actual World Cup team in a couple years? Well, since they're all kids, most of them aren't starters. But funny enough, the kid who scored two goals for the U.S., um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Um, his last name is like Bikimis. He is from Charlotte FC. He's 15 years old, so he's playing two age groups up. But he is actually getting scouted by Bayern Munich, the best team in Germany. So... Uh, the 2026 World Cup might be a little too early because I don't think he can go over there till he's 18 because he doesn't have a European passport. But he is on the level, same level of prospect as Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, so he's definitely one to watch going forward. He's probably oh, going to wow. be a pro next. He's probably going to be a pro next year at 16. Oh wow! And pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely look cool. That, look at us! Look at us talking football. Yep, talking football and talking football. And as always, we got Zach Jackson recording. Maybe he will pop in. And maybe he won't, and he might already be asleep. Who knows? Um, he is yeah, a sleep. We are recording player. a little late on a Monday, so uh, we are. Zach, he may be uh, taking a nap. He might be. Um, but yeah, as we saw Sunday, you said Saturday you were watching the UCF game. Did you did you notice anything particular watching games Sunday when you didn't have to stress out about stress out about the Dolphins? I noticed that it was a big time win for the Dolphins to not have to play, huh? Uh, a lot of good AFC teams lost. Um, Dolphins got to rest up. And I think that uh, people should start kind of appreciating um, that the Dolphins beat those bad teams that other teams seem to slip up with. Yeah, no, it's the thing. And that's a big, that's been a big topic of discussion on Twitter. Everybody calling them Dolphins frauds, but you're seeing all these teams really struggle with the uh, middling teams. The thing I'm learning is I think in the AFC, right now at least dolphins are a lot closer to the top than they are to the bottom and what i mean by that is the people like between the four and five to five and four range maybe a little lower maybe a little higher i would put us is the one six and three team that isn't in the middling tier because it just seems like everybody's so close and some of those games it, it was messy i don't think i think people also should really pre appreciate where we are with Tua, because there's a lot of bad quarterback playing in the NFL right now. I saw a stat. There were, I think it was 10 one-score games and five games decided by a last-second field goal. Do I have that right? Sounds about right. It does make it does make sense there. And we will be getting into the Dolphins a little bit, as well as the uh, midseason awards, uh, since it does seem... Like a good time to do that. But first, uh, this is both a teaser as well as a lead-in 
Jordan, you did just have an article drop, I believe today. I don't think it was yesterday. If it was, I do apologize, on listpodcast.com, matching head coaching candidates with the jobs in the NFL. Well, today was somewhat of a Black Monday in college football, and even yesterday, too. So going into this weekend for college, or going into the week, Northwestern and Michigan State were open jobs. Their coach, uh, Northwestern, fired Pat Fitzgerald before the season because of a hazing violation. Michigan State fired Mel Tucker because of, excuse me, sexual sexual assault, sexual harassment, just a very messy situation. So those jobs were already open. In the last 24 hours, Jimbo Fisher, who famously was given a blank championship plaque, national championship plaque by Texas A&M, just got paid $75 million to go home and be fired. Waste of money. That's got to be the that's got to be the best gig, huh? Getting yeah. $75 million, $77 million I think it was to just go home and do nothing. Yeah, he he won out there. Um Andy Avalos, the Boise State head coach just got fired. Mississippi State just announced today that Zach Arnett was uh being relieved of his duties. Kind of harsh cuz they they hired him as the replacement for Mike Leach after he tragically passed from a heart attack last year. And uh, San Diego State just announced today that Brady Hoke will be retiring at season's end. And it's one of those quote-unquote retire situations, I think, where um, it was retire or be fired. But um, these aren't really bad jobs, uh, Jordan. And I'd, I'm curious to hear your thought. But if I'm an upcoming head coach, the job I want, surprisingly, that I would say is the San Diego State job. Yes, the team is bad, but they have that new beautiful stadium, Snapdragon Stadium, which gets a lot of big concerts, but also is going to be home for both the San Diego Wave for the NWSL women's professional team, as well as the upcoming San Diego FC MLS team that's starting up. Uh, They are very ambitious. They thought they were going to be joining the Big 12. Of course, the Big 12 is no more. Um, So they do have Power 5 ambitions. San Diego, beautiful city, but also a very talent-rich area. So I'm curious your thoughts on if you were a coach, which job would you want? Um, I think you always want to go where the money is going to go. Um, I think that the job you want isn't necessarily the job, the Mississippi State job or the Texas A&M job, but you want the job wherever they poach a coach from. So if they take the coach from Washington, they take Leopold from Kansas, um, if they take Dan Lanning from Oregon, they get a guy like that. That's the job that I want, that Oregon job, that Washington job, um, that you're coming in and inheriting uh, a already great group of players um, that are obviously playing well in order for their coach to move on uh, and can instill your coach, your culture into the program. Yeah. The one job I wouldn't want, it's funny to say this, but Texas A&M. Yes, they will give you the most money. It's a really tough spot to be. It is tough, not just because they're in the SEC, not only because they're not even the best team in their own state, but their boosters think that they're elite. Like, they paid all that money to get Jimbo Fisher, and Fisher was not doing well at FSU. He'd already quit on the team. Um, so that's a lot of money. Um, rumors are that a lot of people are expecting them to go after Prime uh, for Deion Sanders. I don't think Deion's ready for the AM job. Um, it's a little easier than Colorado, but I don't think he'll take that. Um I'm curious who you think they'll go after, but yeah, that's not one I would want. Um, Texas A&M, uh, I, to me, it comes down to two names, uh, Mike Elko and Jeff Trailer. Uh, Mike Elko, currently the head coach at Duke. 
um, was the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Um, and then you have Jeff Trailer, who's currently the head coach at uh, Texas San Antonio, uh, was a high school coach in Texas for 25 years. Um, you, you said it interestingly to me earlier. Um, they need somebody that understands Texas A&M. Um, they, under, they need somebody that understands uh, Texas A&M's spot in Texas um, with all those other schools around, especially the big one um, in Austin. But they need somebody that understands Texas A&M also being in the SEC. Um, Mike Elko, I think, would be a home run hire um, for them. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see the route they go. Um, I think they definitely poke around with a guy like Urban Meyer. Um, I think they definitely try to poke around with every big name, uh, the Dan Lannings uh, of the world. Um, I could see them poking uh, into the NFL waters. I know we've already seen uh, Dan Campbell get mentioned because um, obviously he played at Texas A&M. Um, I could see uh, if you look at a guy like Ken Dorsey, um, who needs to jump down. Uh, the interesting name to me uh, would be Eric Bieniemy. Um, I know he's struggled to find a head coaching job. Um, I said in my uh, article that you can look at today on listpodcast.com that if Dion takes a job somewhere else and Colorado still wants to build on the momentum they have, I could see Eric Bieniemy going back to his alma mater and being the head coach of Colorado. Um, but with Dion coming out and saying that his sons are going to be gone uh, going into the 2025 draft, I think we still see him in Colorado for another year. Um, and then we look for him to take a new job when his sons go. Um, but for Texas A&M, like I said, Mike Elko, Jeff Trailer um, are the realistic names to watch for me. Um, and for Mississippi State, um, with everything they've got going on, that's that's going to be an interesting job. Um, I would like if they're going to make a smart hire. I think Lance Leopold would be a, a great fit. Um, I, I know that there are um, a lot of guys who are going to want that job, um, but I think you're also going to see the high-level guys uh, not take that job. I think Jamie Chadwell, um, who was the head coach at Coastal Carolina and now the head coach at Liberty, um, I think he's a guy that can make sense. Um, but it's going to be all about finding um, the right fit and, and the right fit that understands each of those programs. Yeah. No, uh, Mississippi State's an interesting one. Um, Zach Arnett, I poked around the uh, college football Reddit. Not a very fun thing to do because that's a crazy place. But um, Mississippi State fans seem to like Arnett. They thought he, they thought he was in over his head. He was kind of hired because they needed to. Of course, like I said, Mike Leeds passed up a heart attack last year. It was right, and apparently they were about if he if they did if they did coaching search they search they were going to lose thirty players to the transfer portal. Uh, so they hired Arnett, who was popular. He did try and get rid of the air raid offense, which was a big mistake. They don't have the talent not to run it. Uh, but the name that I keep going back for for Mississippi State is a guy who had a lot of success there as a defensive coordinator in two different stints, and that would be the Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz. Um, People know Manny. He didn't have the greatest um, stint in Miami. I don't think he was ready for that kind of gig. I don't. I know he knows Miami, but I don't think. I think Miami has somewhat unrealistic expect, expectations, especially for people who know the program. I think he was too focused on bringing swag back. But I think he gets the culture a little bit more because he had the most success as a coach at Mississippi State, if that makes sense. Um I do think they kind of try and bring Dan Mullen back, but Dan Mullen's got that show cause clause because of recruiting violations during COVID. 
So I don't think they're going to touch him, but I do think they are going to push hard for Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz would be an interesting name. Um, I know that he obviously struggled as a head coach, um, but that Penn State defense is playing great. Um, it'll be interesting to see, um, being that we both spoke about how Penn State's going to be a, a contender, um, a real contender for a national championship next year. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he decides to stick for another year, see this team get to its peak, uh, and then try to catapult to a job. Uh, could probably make himself a little more money by doing that. Um, but it remains to be seen. But that would, I, I'm sure a lot of Miami fans would have something to say uh, if they went and, and made that hire. No, I'm sure they would. Um, and, of course, the other position that was opening, Boise State. Uh, my first thought is for them to go back and get Brian Harson, who left them for Auburn. Uh, but, again, reading what the fan base has said, it sounds like Harson burned a lot of bridges leaving Boise State. So it doesn't sound like that's a big deal or that is not going to happen. It is a fairly big deal. Um, name. I think they're, I think they're going to shoot for the stars. You're talking about people going for the NFL. I think they want to go after their prodigal son and uh, try and bring Kellen Moore to Boise. I don't know if they wow. have the money for the. I don't know if they have the money for that, but I think that is the move they will try to make. Otherwise the name I hear a lot is Jeff Choate, who's the defensive coordinator at, Texas, who was an assistant under uh, uh, Peterson there. And then the other name I hear is another uh, Oregon assistant who also was a former Boise State player in Will, Ste Will Steen. He was, a, uh, he was a wide receiver at Boise State. Uh, that being said, after getting Andy Avalos from Oregon when he was defensive coordinator there, I don't know if they'd go back to Oregon for an assistant. But I do think for them, they do – want to try and see if they can get Kellen Moore back. Uh, but then if they don't, I think they'll just go with someone with connections to the school. I think most schools should do that. I think most schools um, should be looking at guys that have a connection um, to them. I think teams sometimes overthink it um, and try to make flash your hires. Um, but I think to be successful in college football, unless you're Alabama, which even Alabama, um, I think there's there's something about understanding the school that you're working at, um, and and if you don't do that, if you don't have that, I mean it's it's tough to win in college football. It's tough to not get eaten alive because I think fans um, and players rally behind somebody um, who cares more. And if you're hiring somebody in house or somebody that's coming back to the program, um, you know they're coming back with a place from from a place of love. Um, you know they're going to build the program the right way. Yeah, and of course the other thing, I don't think people realize how much of college football is recruiting. There are some NFL guys that can do it. Uh, Jim Jim Harbaugh was very successful in the NFL, was able to do it, but he did it in college first. Um, Kirby Smart, people forget, he came to, to um, the Dolphins with Nick Saban. He was there in LSU too, but he was able to do it. Pete Carroll showed that he could recruit in college, but there's a lot of people who can't do it. So that's a big, that's a big thing there. And a lot of assistants don't like it either. So that'll be interesting. Now, the two jobs we didn't really talk about Michigan state and Northwestern, they've been open all, all uh, year. They're both tough jobs for different reasons. Northwestern because of the academic standards. I think that's definitely you go with someone who's familiar with the area. Like we just talked about. Um, 
Michigan State, I don't know. It's such a toxic program right now that it's really tough to tough to decide who would be a good choice there. Yeah, Michigan State, you're going to have to get somebody um, that's willing to come and sit for, for a little while. Um, the, the name I saw, um, especially somebody that would take the job um, and is coming from a struggling program, um, is Pat Narduzzi. Um, he's somebody that was a defensive coordinator at Michigan State. Um, he's with Pitt. Uh, Pitt's terrible this year, um, but it's still a guy that would come back um, and and at least bring a, a knowledge of what goes on inside the the walls of Michigan State. Um, because if you're somebody that's worrying about your image, um, and is worrying about getting future jobs, um, Michigan State's going to be a tough uh, sell just because of all the scrutiny around it, and you don't know what it's going to look like for the next couple of years. Yep. And I will say this as a Michigan fan, I know people are dunking on him for his post-game uh, interview where he was crying and swearing, but if Sharon Moore isn't an, a head coach next year in college, I'll be very disappointed. Uh, but he is definitely someone, whether it be San Diego State or whether it's one of these smaller schools after their guy gets poached, I would definitely look at him. Um, Brian Hartline's another guy at Ohio State. He's proven himself to be an elite recruiter, one of the best wide receiver coaches in the country. He's proven himself to be a very good offensive coordinator this year, but those are the two assistants I would definitely look at. Um, and it may be too early, but your boy uh, G.J. Kinney might be worth a look, too, if he, if some of these uh, – I don't know if he's ready for Power 5, but maybe something like Northwestern just because they need someone who can bring a offense like that. But maybe like a lower, like a little bit better group of five school, uh, he'd be someone I'd look at to move up really quickly as well. You know, I do love me some GJ Kimmy. Yeah, he is definitely doing really well. And Mr. S just mentioned Urban Meyer. I don't think Urban's coming back to college this year. He might go to AM, but I think there's I think there's some issues from his time with Jacksonville that's gonna make him a little toxic for college right now. I agree with that. I think it would be a tough sell. Um, I think he would be more willing to come back um, than other teams would be to have him. Yeah. I think if USC were to somehow open, like if uh, Lincoln Riley went to the NFL, USC would be the job. But I see people had linked him to Michigan State. I don't think he'd go to Michigan State. Um, I don't think he'd go to – he might go to AM just because they're off of the money. But I don't – unless it's one of those, like, prime – like those prime time jobs, I don't think he's coming back to coaching anytime soon. Uh, he it has to be like you just said, um, an opportunity where he thinks he he can win a national championship and that he can do that soon. Yeah. Yep. Now on to the NFL, and like I said, because the Dolphins are practically the mid season, midpoint season for everybody. We are going to break this down. We're going to do midseason awards for the NFL, and then we're going to do midseason review and grades for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to start with the midseason MVPs, or mid, all the different awards. We're going to start with MVP. Uh, Jordan, why don't you start us off with the MVP, your MVP of the midseason? So as much as I want to say Tua, um, I think that especially um, as we get into talking about Offensive Player of the Year here in a few minutes, um, I think that when you put Tua up uh, next to Mahomes, um, I think that uh, Mahomes, unfortunately, because he's doing just as much um, as Tua is doing, 
um, from a from a um, pure record team winning standpoint. We're talking value here. We're not simply talking numbers. Um, I, I think what Mahomes means to that offense right now, who has had an injured Travis Kelsey, who has had jack shit at receivers production so far this year. I mean, he's making Justin Watson look like a, a good receiver. Um, other than Pacheco, they, they don't have much depth at running back. Um, and, and Mahomes has them right there at the top of the league. Um, I'm going to pick Patrick Mahomes. I would love to pick Tua. Um, I, I just think that Tua, the Dolphins have to finish at worst 13-4 and four for Tua to win MVP. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they will. I would love to see it. Um, but to try to not be a homer, um, I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I think right now it's a three-person race now. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tua, and Lamar Jackson. Um, I think, as much as I hate to say it this way, I think until we beat a quote-unquote good team, as much as that's a little overrated, I think people will hold that against Tua. Um, fair, or not, fair or not, I think that's just how the voters are going to view it. So if we do beat a Baltimore or Dallas later in the season, the discussion may change. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson. He is having his best year as a pure quarterback right now, and a lot of times he is carrying a very, a very inconsistent Baltimore offense. Yes, they've been able to run the ball a little bit better recently, but he is having his best year as a passer, and he is very much beloved by the media. Having a great year, so let's not take that away from him. But I just think right now, of those three, I'd probably say in most people's eyes, Tua is the third option until we can change the narrative about the team needing a good team. And I think that's right now the only thing holding Tua back. Yeah, I agree. Um, Lamar would be a great pick. Um, I, I just, I think for some reason that we're, we're going to have another Mahomes here. It's very Especially possible. Especially in, in what, to me, the MVP is a little bit of a media-driven award. Yep. Yep. That's why I think it's either going to be uh, Lamar or Patrick Mahomes right now. But again, I think, I do think that Tua will and can change the narrative. Um, but we will go on to another award that Tua is linked to, the Offensive Player of the Year Award. I don't have Tua winning this, but I do think uh, Tyreek Hill will win this award. He is putting up ridiculous numbers for the second straight year uh, with Tua better or with Tua being healthy this year. And I'd say playing at a higher level than last year before his injuries as well. Uh, Tyreek does have a very realistic shot of making the uh, 2,000 receiving yards list. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Tyreek Hill, for our buddy T-Buck on Discord, uh, says he can be the first receiver in over 17 years to get 1,000 yards and 10 receptions for the Dolphins and the first in 35 to get more than 11 touchdowns with 1,000 yards. So in terms of Dolphins team history, he is having an historic year. But in NFL history, he is also having a historic year. And if he even gets close to 2,000 yards, he's winning offensive player of the year. Even if I'd say if he gets to 50, easily get to 1,500 yards, I think Tyreek Hill runs away with this award. I stunned Jordan into silence, everybody. Hello? Yep, I can hear you now. 
Okay, I don't know what happened, but I'm back. Um, I said that this is probably going to be the first place where we both agree. Um, I assume we're going to agree once or twice more. Um, Tyreek is the best player in the league, the most explosive player in the league. I think uh, that there should be more of a conversation about Tyreek winning MVP. Um, I think we that conversation as the year moves on, um, if they're not going to give it to Tua and put Tua up there, um, I see no reason that Tyreek shouldn't be in the top two, three, four uh, vote getters right now. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I think as far as offensive player of the year goes, I think Tyreek's a lock for that award. Yeah, and speaking with Tyreek to MVP, I do think if we get – if he goes back to what he was doing pre-Kansas City game and he's getting 100-plus 100, 100 yards and a touchdown each week and we're looking at three weeks, he's closing on 1,500 yards and he gets over 1,500. If he gets closer in the, 19, in the uh, 2000, gets a realistic possibility, I do think he will be in that conversation for MVP. Uh, but fairly or unfairly, as we know, it's um, MVP has become a quarterback – uh, award the last I believe the last non quarterback to win the award was Adrian Peterson and he had over 2,000 rushing yards uh, and was close to breaking uh, Eric Dickerson's record uh, so it would take a, an historic year from Tyreek to get into that con- to realistically get in that conversation and he is on pace for that uh, to happen uh, so I will let you go ahead and start the Defensive Player of the Year award conversation, Jordan. So I think the Defensive Player of the Year award is uh, really a three-man race, and it's a, a little different than the Offensive Player of the Year. That uh, is simply just going to be Tyreek against whoever wins MVP. Um, the Defensive Player of the Year to me um, is between Miles Garrett, uh, T.J. Watt, um, and I blanked on the third name that I had written down on the sheet I left in my car. Why can't I think of? Oh, Michael Parsons. It was, uh, it, it was Michael Parsons, obviously, um, from Dallas. Um, I, I think it's a three-man race. Um, I, I think you have to look at what they specifically mean to their teams. Um, I think you take Micah Parsons out of Dallas, um, and I think they're still a pretty good team. I think you take um, T.J. Watt off of Pittsburgh. Yeah, they struggle, but I think they're still a pretty good team. Um, you take Miles Garrett off the Browns, um, and they get significantly worse. Um, that man makes a difference. Um, he is a giant. He is a force. Um, and while he might not be um, as good as a pure pass rusher as Watt, um, as good in coverage, obviously, being a defensive end as Micah Parsons, um, he's the most dominant player defensively uh, that I've seen this season. Um, and I think that the award should go to Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is a good shout. Um, I have him second to TJ Watt. Uh, the reason I'm going with TJ Watt is what, as good as Garrett's been, that whole defense is amazing too. He is their best pass rusher, but he is also uh, TJ single handedly won a couple games. He won the first Browns game with uh, in week two for them. He won the Steelers game for or the Ravens game for them, and he won the Titans game last week for them so tj watt well miles garrett's great he's getting the sacks tj is on that level where he is single-handedly winning games and causing the pressures and causing the bad throws the result in turnovers and causing fumbles getting interceptions himself too so it's neck and neck between them i do think you're right micah parsons would be in there too but i think he's kind of falling off a bit uh so i just give tj i think, the edge I think no matter how you cut it 
Micah Parsons is a clear three to yes. Gary Long. Yep, and shout out to Max Crosby if we went to a fourth. I think he's number four. And I think I don't think people realize how good Max Crosby is sometimes. Yeah, I think we need to get him to a more competitive team. So I think people would really appreciate how dominant he is. Yeah, no, I agree there. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year, this is probably the easiest one. Um, we both have C.J. Stroud, I'm guessing. Yeah, we definitely have C.J. Stroud. And I think that if the Texans keep playing the way they're playing, and I know that we kind of had some words about it uh, earlier, but I think there's a chance that you see uh, people start to not put him into the real MVP category, but put him as a player that um, deserves to at least be mentioned in the honorable mention section. CJ Stroud yeah, has no. one. He has one interception right now. One. Yeah, it's it is funny going into the year. I was I was like, man, the Texans are not setting up CJ Stroud for success, and the Car- Carolina is setting up Bryce Young for success. And I could not be wrong on either one. Um, so surprised with how, like, I always thought CJ Stroud was good. I thought he was the best of the recent string of Ohio State quarterbacks that have come out, but I didn't think he'd be good this good this early. And he does, like we said, he has, um, he has Houston in the playoff, um, picture. And as we said last week, or I said last week, I do think he has a very good chance to make it in to the into the playoffs. And as Mr. S said, he actually does have two interceptions this year. I guess he had an interception yesterday. I do remember that. it was He had a bad interception at the end of the game. Um, but still, two interceptions for a rookie at this point is still really good. Um, aside from Devin Achan, who's been hurt, uh, this has become a one-horse race. But is there anybody else you think worth shouting out? Um, maybe Puka Nakua? I think Nakua is the one you got to look at. A-chan if he would have been healthy. Um, but I don't think this one's close. I think Strata would unanimously. Yeah, I agree there. Um, I don't think it's going to be close either. I think last I saw, he's minus 500 favorite right now. So he's he's winning uh, during the season, and it's not even close. Um Defensive Rookie of the Year, I don't think it's really close either. I think you and I have the same person for that as well. Uh, yeah, Defensive Rookie of the Year is probably Jalen Carter. Um, I'm sure you, a lot like me, um, thought that it was ridiculous um, that Jalen Carter fell to the Eagles. Um, him and Jordan Davis together uh, shouldn't be allowed. I think that's one of those things, if your buddy does that in Madden, you're like, really, man? putting the two of them together. Uh, you do that because they're both gigantic. Uh, they played together in college. Um, it, the fit for that defense, for that D-line is so perfect. Um, so uh, you just got to kind of tip your cap to the Eagles or blame the Bears who let that happen. Um, but it's got to be Jalen Carter. Yep. The other name I would add in there is Devin Witherspoon. I think he's been become quickly become a lockdown corner in the NFL. Um, for Seattle, but he is the only one I would even consider close. Yeah, I think both Rookie of the Years are going to be relatively boring this year. Yep. Now, next award we have down is uh, Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, DeMar Hamlin's going to win it because, I, this sounds bad to say it, but 
getting cleared, not dying and getting cleared to play football again. He definitely deserves that award. So I believe my exact message to you was comeback player of the year other than Damar Hamlin. I know a lot of people want to have Tua, but I think Tua, um, to me at least, I don't have Tua winning it because he was so good last year before the concussion, and he's come back and got back to that level. I actually have Baker Mayfield winning the award. He was written off last year. He was not wanted in Carolina. He did not look very good for the Rams. And he's come to Tampa and has them playing respectable to the point where playoffs are not out of the possibility for them. He went from being a placeholder or a or maybe even a tank commander for the Buccaneers to potentially becoming a long-term starter for them. So I actually have that award going to Baker Mayfield. Uh, Baker is a name I had on my short list. Um, the name I actually picked uh, that I think is going to surprise, surprise some people, I, I actually said that Tua is going to win Comeback Player of the Year. Um, if you look back to last year, the concussions that he had and the issues um, that Tua had all of last year, um, what Tua has gone through the last couple of years with the Flores saga, um, injury history, I think coming back um, and even being in the top three of the MB- MVP discussion, um, should get him an award. And I think that award's going to be the comeback player of the year. Um, I think it's going to be a tight race, um, but I think when people start to look at it in a um, who really came back um, and had a bigger, better year than last year, um, I think you got to give it to Tua. Um, I think Baker Mayfield um, is obviously a great story. Um, Josh Dobbs is going to be a great story. Um if Aaron Rodgers plays, I don't know if you can give it to somebody that came back in the same season. Um, but I, I think that Tua uh, came back from the injuries, from people saying that he should retire from football uh, to yeah. playing like an MVP. Um, I think he, that he deserves to win the award. Yep, that's fair. I just kind of felt that like he's building off a of success. But I see where some would want the concu- would have the concussion talk coming as well. Um, now on to the last award. Uh, Jordan, why don't you start us off with your coach of the year so far? As much as I'd love to say Mike McDaniel, uh, as much as I would, um, I think that this award has to go to Dan Campbell. Um, him, him doing what he's doing, doing it with the Detroit Lions. Um, I don't think there's a team in football that more embodies their coach than the Lions do with Dan Campbell. I love Dan Campbell. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I I was going to let you go, but I just think they're a a smash mouth, bite your kneecaps team. Um, And I I just think that um, Dan Campbell deserves it. Um, I think with everything we've seen with him up close as Dolphin fans, um, and turning around the Detroit Lions, Jared Goff, the quarterback, uh, he's turning Ben Johnson into, and Ben Johnson's a great coach, uh, but turning him into a star, um, he's going to be the prize of this offseason. Um, and you can see who I predict him going to in at the listpodcast.com in my new article. Um, I think that Dan Campbell runs away with this award. I love Dan Campbell, and I think he probably will win the award. Uh, but again, I think he's building off of what he built last year. But I do think saying the Detroit Lions is the thing that pushes you over the hump. Um, to me, I look at teams, at coaches who have their teams outperforming expectations. And I had 
and for some reason I had high expectation of the Lions going into this year. So two, I had I whittled it down to two coaches, Mike Tomlin, who's a great coach, but I didn't expect anything from the Steelers. He has them at six and three, I believe now. But who I went with is the other choice, and that's D'Amico Ryan's again. He has Houston, who many people thought would have another top five pick this year, which they gave up to Arizona to get Will Anderson. Uh, but no one thought they had a roster that was going to compete for the playoffs. And a big part of that, yes, is CJ Stroud, but Tank Dell, Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz, or Dalton Schultz, they're all playing really well. Robert Woods looked cooked the last couple of years, and he's come back. It's had a decent season for Houston, been a veteran leader. They have a fairly good offensive line when everybody's healthy. Uh, but I just don't think people thought they'd be ready this good this quickly or this ready this quickly. So I would I will give the award right now to D'Amico Ryans for having the Texans competing. Yeah, that's that's a great uh shout. And I mean the Texans, I think with the bell of the ball these last couple weeks, especially this week, uh coming off their win at Cincinnati. Um, so I think that us talking about Stroud being a lock, us talking about Domingo Ryan, um, all those things um, are testament to uh, what they, the two of them are doing uh, to bring this organization back. Yep. Yep, very exciting young team. We'll see uh, both them and the Lions, honestly, are very exciting young teams. Both had very good drafts the last couple of years. Um, Let me tell you, be, as a Dolphins fan, I I wouldn't love to play the Texans right now. Um, they're a very physical, hard nosed team. They have a great pass rush. Um, they're they're going to be a, a problem later in this season. They will be. the The key for them is something a lot of teams mess up. And when you have a good year and you're ahead of schedule, is to not rush it. You have to stay on schedule. And you have to be smart going forward. So my one hope for them is just don't rush it. And that's the that's something that a lot of teams mess up. So hopefully they don't do that. Detroit didn't do it. We didn't really do it. We almost did um, if we would have traded for Deshaun Watson. But a lot of teams do it. The Jets kind of did it. The Broncos did it. The Rams did it, but they, they won a Super Bowl, so we won't talk about that. They don't fit. But it's patience when you're rebuilding. It's patience. So remain the course. Could um, you imagine if we would have traded for Deshaun Watson? Uh, we would not be in a good situation right now. I can oh, tell you that right now. But uh, speaking of us, as I said, Dolphins are in the bye, coming out of the bye. Mid-season review. Let's start with the grades, and we're just going to go down the list, and we will start with quarterback. Tua is having a very good year. MVP caliber to many people. He is currently per PFF given a grade of 87.5. Good for fourth on on the offense. Very good year. I'm going to give Tua an A-. minus. I think he's been very good. I think at times, well, I shouldn't say at times. I do think I'm not blaming him for interceptions, but the interceptions are a little higher than I want them to be or I'd like to see. I'm not blaming him for that. He is naturally an aggressive person. So sometimes the interception numbers will be a little higher and you got to live with that. But at times that does hurt you like the pick six against the Giants. Just a bad read, a late read, overconfidence and trying to force it to get Waddle in. But the good far it rates the bad. 
best anticipation in the league, arguably the best accuracy. So I'll give him an A minus just because the interceptions are a little higher than I than I'd like. Imagine if I told you before the season that um, Tua would be uh, one of the front runners for MVP, and you weren't giving him an A uh, in our midseason ratings. Um, that's just how were, high of an opinion of him I have. Yeah, I think that that's a again a testament to um, how well he's playing right now. Um, but I mean, when you look at Tua. Um, I think you have to give him an A, um, just a flat-out A. Um, and I'm going to be very critical and very tough and not give out many A's here. Um, but I don't think there's much more you can ask from him um, than coming along I and mean, really being the star of this team. Um, we're leading the division right now halfway through the season. Our offense is number one in a lot of different categories. Um, and, and that's a testament of Tua, and that's a testament of McDaniel, um, and that's a testament to the amount of work they put in in the offseason. Um, so I think it would be grading way too harshly to give Tua anything. I, I would even consider giving him an A+, plus, um, but I think we need to be undefeated to have an A+. Plus. Um, so I'll give Tua an A. Yep. And again, just to give a little more stats from our buddy on the Discord, T-Buck, Tua has a chance to be the first quarterback in 28 years for the Dolphins to throw for 30 or more touchdowns. Um, that just tells you how bad the quarterback play is to be the first one since Dan, when 30 touchdowns is like nothing anymore. Um so good on him, but like I said, that's just me having high, like high thoughts for Tua. Um, running back, I'm going to give an A minus to uh, Moster and Achan having great years. Achan uh, is ranked, the number one ranked player on our offense. He is ranked at ninety three point six. Moster is number five at eighty seven point three. Uh, T-Buck, our buddy T-Buck came up with some more good stats there. Uh, Raheem Mostert has the, uh, what she says. So the rushing attack actually has 17 touchdowns so far this year, and we had a total of 12 rushing touchdowns last year. So it's been very good. The reason for the A- minus is more so since A-Chan's been da- gone down, we have seen that Jeff Wilson isn't at the level he was his first game last year. That was kind of the exception. He may be a good uh, bowling ball type running back, but he doesn't really add anything to the receiving game, at least consistently. And we've seen Ahmed just doesn't have the vision to take advantage of the holes. So, so I'll kind of split up. Mostert and HN together, I'll give an A+, plus because we saw when those two together, they're almost unstoppable. But with HN out, and as the group as a whole, I'm going to go down to A minus. I gave them a B plus a, a lot. It's funny because I gave them a B plus, but I said Mostert HN got an A plus, um, and the and really you could throw Chris Brooks into there, uh, while Jeff Wilson um, and Ahmed really got a C. Um, so I'll leave them at a B plus. I think, like you said, uh, our running backs, especially in this system. Uh, means so much, and the two guys at the top are playing so well. Um, I'm so excited to get A-Chan back this week uh, and see uh, the way he plays after missing that time. Um, and first of all, shout-out to T-Buck for getting us all that um, and all those stats, but it really is um, a testament to how well this offense is playing that uh, we're giving our running backs and our quarterback such high grades. So um, A, like I said, for two, a B-plus for the running backs. 
And then wide receiver, uh, this is going to be a little, going to break it up again. Uh, I will say Tyree Kill gets an A+. Plus. The rest of the group, I will say, gets a B. So I'll average it as a group to a B+. Plus. Tyree Kill, our second-ranked, excuse me, offensive player per PFF. He is ranked at 93. Jalen Waddles ranked decently as our number six player at 84.5. He doesn't look right to me. I don't know what you you think, Jordan, but it just seems like the injuries have kind of bugged him a little bit, and you just have to deal with the drops with Waddle, which I think have been a little more prevalent this year, but maybe that's because he's been out as much. Um, I never thought, and I, I am impressed with how Cedric Wilson has come on the last couple weeks, finally got two touchdowns. Uh, but I'll, and Braxton Barris has been a fairly reliable target when we use him, but we haven't used him as much. Never thought I'd say this, but the off- the wide receivers to me miss River Craycraft. Not only was he reliable on third down, but he was a great blocker. So now what's happened is we've seen Robbie Chosen Anderson, whatever you want to call him, He's not a blocker, and for a couple weeks, that actually hurt our offense to where the point where Barrios has need Barrios has needed to focus more on blocking, or Wilson needs to focus on blocking. So we're not getting the options as much in the receiving game, which has meant when we see Hill and Waddle come out, we know it's a run rather than being able to mix it up. We've also seen Chase Claypool now have to block more without full knowledge of the playbook because of Anderson's deficiencies. So I do expect that grade to raise, but it's funny. Like people don't think about how a role player like Craycraft being out can affect the offense when we see it because it puts everybody else in different roles. So B plus overall, Tyreek at an A plus, but it is a group. It's a B plus just because the injuries have had people playing different roles and has led to some inconsistencies in anybody but Cheetah. Yeah, I think, like you said, you can't. If I could give Tyreek an A plus plus plus, um, that would that wouldn't be enough for how much he's done. Um, even plays where he's not really making a play, um, he makes such a difference um, and draws eyes and defenders on every time he's on the field. Um, the ability for the Dolphins to run some of their reverses that they run and and some of their run plays that they run, um, a lot of that has to do with Tyreek. So you. A plus 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 uh, for Tyreek. Um, I give Jalen Waddle um, a, a low B, um, maybe even a C plus, um, just because I, I mean he's on pace for over a thousand yards this year. How, you can't really um, really fault the guy for that, especially when he's our number two receiver, um, despite being one of the better number two receivers in the league. Um, but the rest of the receiving core really gets a C. Um, I Cedric Wilson um, has played better. Um, you miss Craycraft, um, Barrios. Other than calling fair catches on punts and one or two catches, um, hasn't been a huge difference. Um, overall, I'll give the receiving core a B plus, just like I did the running backs. Um, but that's mostly because Tyreek uh, brings that up so much, and because you, you can't have a quarterback that has an A and receivers that have a C. Um, so I'll give our uh, receivers at B plus. Next group is going to be tight ends and offensive line. The reason they're honestly the reason I have them grouped together, I think you know, uh, as well as most people might, is the tight ends are basically our sixth tackle, sixth and seventh tackle. 
uh, or lead blockers. We really don't use them in a passing game. Uh, I will give the group a B, mainly because I think they've not only performed above expectation as a whole, but they've performed above expectation with a lot of backups. Now we have seen where those injuries have hurt us in games like Kansas City, um, Philadelphia to an extent, though I blame, again, I blame a lot of that on the Roush, but definitely, um, excuse me, definitely Buffalo, who Liam Eikenberg, it's funny, has actually been okay since then, but he's our lowest rated player at 36.2 overall. And I think that's mainly because he got a four against Buffalo, which is just putrid. But to have the rushing attack we've had, to have Tua not be pressure a lot. Now, a lot of that is getting the ball out, but they're still not giving up the pressures. They're still not giving up the sacks overall. I said going into the year, if you give us a mediocre offensive line, I'll be happy. And we've had, I would say, a solid to good offensive line all year. So credit to Butch Berry, who a lot of people were not happy about hiring. But yeah, I'll give it a B. And Smythe and Hill have been solid, if unspectacular, as blockers at tight end. Shout out to Alec Ingold as well. Um, so I actually separated the tight ends and offensive line, and I gave the tight ends an incomplete. Um, so I, I guess it's the same as looping them together. Um, I, I just think we haven't seen enough of them. Um, their blocking has gone down the last couple of weeks um, from a skill standpoint. Um, the offensive line, um, I gave a B minus. Um, Connor Williams and Liam Eikenberg have both had some snapping issues. Uh, Teron Armstead's not been able to stay on the field. Um, you, you did have a little bit of struggles from some guards that came in. Um, Austin Jackson has been an A on his own. Um, Robert Hunt has been a B plus. Um, but the offensive line a, a, as a whole, um, I would like to have seen a little more from them. Um, and I think if this is going to be a Super Bowl team, then that, that offensive line has to take the next step. Yep, that's fair, but I do think getting everybody healthy going into the bye, well, Robert Hunt might not be healthy, but I think getting Connor Williams and Armstead back before the bye, giving him a week, I think you will see an uptick in the offensive line going forward. Now we just need to get Hunt back, but getting the other two back is big for us. Um, now on to the defense, and we will start with the defensive line. They have seen... An uptick, and I'm including Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb in the defensive line. So we'll say edge and defensive line because I think that's basically how we play. Um, Bradley Chubb is having a great year. No, at times we've complained about it, but he's been top four in pressures all year, converting it to sacks. He has a chance to be our first uh, double-digit sack, and in I believe eight years, uh, coming again from T. Buck. Shout out to T-Buck. He does great work in our Discord, and I'm ex I'm happy to share his research with our listeners as well. Um, and I think Jalen Phillips being back, even though Phillips isn't on the stat sheet, has helped convert those pressures into sacks because now you have two guys. Uh, Sealer and Wilkins are on pace to have their best years as pass rushers. But I'm giving, like I said, B-C plus feels accurate. I'm. I'll give a B minus just because we've seen the, seen the line improve a bit. 
but we still give up way too much in the run game for my liking to give anything higher than that. Uh, but I will I will move it up from a C plus to a B minus because we are converting those pressures into sacks. We are starting to force fumbles. But if we want to be a Super Bowl team, and as we get into the colder months, and as we play teams like Dallas and Baltimore, you are going to need to stop the run. So that's where I stand with them. So I also have a B minus. Um, I had the pass rush um, as an A minus. I had the run defense as a C. Um, so uh, I, I gave the defensive line as a whole um, a B minus. Um, I've been other than Christian Wilkins, which and Christian Wilkins is a star. Um, we don't have much depth on the defensive line, and that's something I've kind of um, shouted about a little bit all year. Um, and, and it shows that there's no depth on, on the interior defensive line. Um, but our pass rush has been awesome. Like you said about Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips, Andrew Van Ginkle's been awesome. Um, it, you have to look at that as a strength of our team, um, especially a strength of our defense. Um, and that's, that defensive line is going to have to be elite um, if we're going to win games in cold weather. Um, and they almost kept us in the Buffalo playoff game last year. Um, they were wreaking havoc, and, and I look for that to be the same um, come playoff time this year. So I'm going to give it a B-, minus. Um, but this is an area I really look to improve uh, as the remainder of the season goes on. Linebacker play, I know they've been doing better. David Long is really starting to get to that level. But so far this year, I do have to give the linebacking core a C. The plays have started to get there more consistent. But I think, again, especially with Jerome Baker, the run stops, the stops on short passes just aren't there where you want them to be. And there are still way too many mistakes in the zone coverage, saw it again against Kansas City on the second touchdown. David Long was playing zone. Baker was playing man. And we just don't have depth. Like, Duke Riley's a good special teams player, but if he's going to play any snaps, it's not good. And, again, said in the past, I'm ready to consider Channing Tindall a wash, not including anything. We're at the point where we're moving Van Ginkle to inside linebacker rather than playing a third-round pick second-year player, so he's not even in the discussion. So while the play is getting better, it's just, again, it's not where you want it to be in a defense that plays zone, and it, the job is see ball, get ball. So I'm I'm giving it a C. Did you look at my notes? Because <laughs> um, I, I also have it a C um, as far as the linebackers go. Um, and only reason it's not lower is David Long. Yeah. Um, I give David Long a B plus, um, and it's not an A just simply because of how he was at the first couple games of the year. Um, but the rest of the linebacking core um, is a D, if not an F. Um, Jerome Baker, I hope that we're reaching the end of his time here um, and, and we can look at replacements next year. Uh, Tindall's been non-existent. Um, and as far as plays gone, um, it's our depth is so bare there that you've seen Van Ginkle have to move inside um, where you can't even use his strengths that way. Um, the linebacking core is definitely one of our weak spots. Um, it, it's always interesting to think, uh, what if we would have gotten Roquan Smith last year um, instead of Bradley Chubb? As much as I love Chubb, I think the fit would have been more natural. 
Um, if you can imagine having Roquan Smith and David Long on the field right now um, with Van Ginkle and um, Phillips as the edge rushers instead of Chubb and Phillips. Um, but I, I think simply uh, that linebacking core is so very, very, very bad. Um, and outside of David Long, um, I can see that entire thing being revamped. You talk about getting Roquan Smith. It also makes me ask, and this is something I know a bunch of our uh, draft draft dudes in the Discord, like what if instead of Tyndall we would have drafted Leo Chanel who won a pick later, and he's starting to emerge a bit this year for Kansas City and who's also an athletic freak, if not more of one than Tyndall was. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of different ways we could have gone um, that – I mean, as good as we are right now, I can only imagine how much better we can be. Yeah. Uh, secondary was an interesting one. I'm going to preface this by saying I am not grading off of the two games with Jalen Ramsey because it's just too small of a sample size. And if I was, I'd say the secondary was an A. But I'm not doing that. But I am going to split it up. I'm going to say safeties are an A-. minus. Um Javon Holland is actually the number one ranked safety in terms of coverage in the NFL. He has two forced fumbles, I believe, uh, three breakups. He's only given up one pass, I believe. Um, And I think you and I both agree Deshaun Elliott has been a very, very good signing. Um, I'm giving an A- because they have taken away the middle of the field a lot. Um, But they just don't really have a lot of playmaking coming from their end and the rest of the secondary the rest of the, the corners i'm giving it a c minus to again i expect this to go way up with jalen ramsey back but without him teams did not throw to x because they didn't need to because cater kahoo was not a is not a boundary corner and he got he tried his best by the times he was outmatched we know you hate Eli Apple. I'm not a fan of what I saw from Eli Apple. He just didn't add enough. And then Perry Nickerson was not good. We've talked enough about Cam Smith not getting time um, to play. And it's funny because Cam Smith is actually fairly highly ranked and is very small, um, very fairly small sample size. But until Jalen Ramsey was back, our corners just, aside from Max, were getting burnt, and it it was just bad. So I'll give a C minus to the corners, A minus to safeties. So that averages will say a C plus. Um, so I'm gonna give, um, as it sounds like somebody uh, in our back end is typing, um, I'm gonna give the corners uh, a D plus. Um, just simply because they need to be better. Um, and like you said, Jalen Ramsey uh, hasn't um, shown enough uh, yet. Um, although it, it's, been, it's been electrifying, um, you haven't really seen um, the full scope of what this secondary can be, um, other than for some of that Chiefs game where it was actually very promising. Um, but uh, I, I give them a, a D. Um, and then I'll give our safeties an A. Um, so we'll give our secondary a B minus. But yeah, I think like the linebackers, 
like the linebackers, I think that's a that's a grade that's going to go up as we move into the second half of the season in the playoffs. Yep, I agree. I think just I think Ramsey, you're not going to throw at Ramsey, which means X is going to get more chances of turnovers. You weren't going to throw at X, but whatever keeps Eli Apple off the field is going to be good. Um, sure. Special teams, honestly, they've been non-existent. I'm going to give a D. Um, we haven't really kicked a lot of field goals or needed to. So Jason Sanders, I'm going to be kind of kind to him, but he did miss a makeable field goal against New England week two and missed an extra point that almost cost us week one. Uh, Bailey is an awful punter. And almost every week I wonder why we're not bringing people in to challenge him. And we just don't have the threat of a return game. So, yeah, I don't I, like. There's really not much to say about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a D to the special teams. Yeah, I'm gonna give an F to the special teams. Um, they've been bad. They've they've yeah. been bad. Um, but actually, um, I will go I, with I, you and say F because I forgot about that. We gave up a special teams touchdown to Denver. So yeah, I'm going down with an F with you. Yeah, I think that we need a new kicker and a new punter next year. Um, and there needs to be an emphasis on adding a couple more special teams type players. Um, right now, the special teams is, is it worries me because in a big game, you have to be perfect in all three phases of the game. And our special teams, I don't trust them to execute a big punt late in the game or a big field goal late in the game. Yeah, it is an issue, especially with the contract uh, Jason Sanders has, the fact that we're still not confident in him anymore. That is an issue. And I would also say, I know I don't think they're going to do it because I do think that mcdaniel values him but i would really consider moving on from danny crossman yeah i could see that being an area that so i think i remember mcdaniel last year at the end of the year saying um there hasn't been enough to properly evaluate um, i think two years of struggles are going to be enough yep and speaking of mcdaniel we'll do coaching um i'm going to give the coaching staff as a whole and a b plus i think the offense has been great. My only complaint with the offense is sometimes we go, we still go away from the run a little bit too much. Um, it is getting better, but I think there have been times where the composure in play calling needs to be there and fair or unfair. The uh, end of half struggles last week against Kansas City with the play clock still has a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and the other issue, as good as the defense is getting, is we can probably say a lot of the struggles with the defense early were the injuries. Jalen Phillips out, Jalen Ramsey out, Nick Needham out, Brandon Jones still getting integrated, and then Holland missed the game, and then Long still learning. Early on, I felt with what was available, Vic Fangio was too stubborn with his defensive play calling. Um, Again, I, I do understand limitations with players, but I don't think the scheme and adjustments was there to help them with what's available. Um, so as a whole, I give the coaching staff a B-plus so far, I think. Um, for a lot of the same reasons you said, I'm going to give the coaching staff a B-minus. Um, I think that the biggest issue I have right now um, is the not getting plays in on time. Um, I think that's probably my biggest concern with the whole team. Um, because I think that that's, that cost us already in a playoff game last year in Buffalo that we should have won with Skylar Thompson. Um, and I think that's something you thought they would get figured out this offseason. Um, and they haven't yet. 
Um, so it's worrisome. And you look for them, they need to figure it out uh, coming out of the bye week. Um, so uh, we'll see if they do. Um, but right now, a B minus. I think McDaniel's done a great job. Um, I, I think I love the direction of this franchise right now. Uh, he's in zero danger whatsoever of, of his job being in jeopardy. Um, but it's, it's, it's time to clean up some of that. Yeah, still learning, but like I said, like you said, like we can, you can see the progress each week. You can see where it's getting better. There's still stuff you need to work on, and I'd still say a lot of ways, especially offensively, we're a little ahead of the curve because it usually does take two to three years to get this system down pat. Um, so, like you said, no danger. Very encouraged where we are, but there are still some things that are a bit frustrating. Um, but now we're going to go on to the uh, awards for the team. Not really awards. Did player of the year, surprise of the year, and disappointment of the year so far. Uh, So we're going to start with player of the year. I know we talked about Tyreek being the offensive player of the year, being a potential MVP candidate. But for me, I have two as the player of the year. I think after what he dealt with last year, the hate he still gets from the media, a lot of the media, which is still unfair in a lot of ways. And the fact that he is a quarterback that is likely going to lead the team to the playoffs and potentially a division title. I think the league is a quarterback league, so he puts up the numbers we're expecting. I think he got to give the award to Tua, with all respect to Tyreek. Yeah, I think the award goes to Tua. Um, Tyreek definitely is very close, simply because he helps you more than you see. Um, but I think that the the reason this team has taken another step um, is because Tua has taken another step. Um, yep. Tua is the MVP of this team, and this thing goes the way Tua goes. Yep, and as we saw last year, um, both Tyreek and Waddle, when Tua didn't play, their stats cratered. So it's not just a skills player thing. It is absolutely a Tua thing as well. Uh, Jordan, I'll let you start with the surprise of the year. Um, I think the surprise of the year for me uh, has been the signing of Deshaun Elliott and how well he's played. Um, I expected him to kind of supplement Brandon Jones, um, to supplement Javon Holland. Um, but Deshaun Elliott's turned into a real, real key for this defense. Um, I, I think we saw the offensive explosion coming. Um, I think we saw the pass rush being good. I don't think we saw Deshaun Elliott turning into one of the better safeties in the league. No, I definitely didn't see that. Um, I thought he'd be the third safety rotating in with Brandon Jones and Elliott's kept Jones on the bench. Uh, my surprise is going to be Austin Jackson. I remember very early, one of the first episodes we did, and it was early in the season, um, I actually openly said I would consider benching Austin Jackson when tar- uh, Armstead got back healthy and putting Kendall Lamb at right tackle. Uh, Jackson has, I believe, only either given up one sack or zero sacks all year, but he's going at least going on multiple weeks without giving up a sack. He is the one player on our offensive line that has not missed time. And he has gone from someone that I was willing to let walk at the end of the year. We didn't pick up his option to being someone that I'm like, he might become number two priority resign uh, behind Robert Hunt. So to go from an absolute bust to being a good right tackle and still being only 24 years old, hats off to him. And that's a surprise I wasn't expecting. It's a great shout. That really is a great shout. Um, he's he's stepped up his game, um, and it 
it's a nice problem to have now that we have three guys on the offensive line that we want to resign. Yep. And unfortunately, I don't think we'll be able to keep all of them. But uh, that might be a topic with uh, either for a future show with offensive line prospects or an article for the website. But definitely something to look out for, everybody. Um, now for the bad disappointment of the year. I kind of, I think you and I have the same one for this, but I'm not sure. I have Armstead. Um, When he plays, he's been elite. But with the money we gave him, you can't be missing as many games as he has. You kind of knew that was going to happen. It's been who he's been his whole career. But it feels like it's gotten a bit worse this year. And when you consider his contract, the fact that we have so many free agents on the offensive line and so many people we need to resign, is it really worth a couple plays of a couple games of elite play for that contract, knowing that we're probably going to have to let some good pieces walk? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a very, very, very good problem to have um, that you have guys that you need to resign. It's a very, very bad problem to have um, that you have a guy like Teron Armstead that you can't rely on. Um, I, I think our fears about Teron Armstead came true. Um, and we're in a position where we're going to have to find um, kind of a replacement for that quickly if we're going to keep this peak. Um, I would love to find a time uh, to bring him back, uh, maybe at a lower cat figure. Uh, but right now, Armstead's definitely been the d- biggest disappointment um, with this team to this point. Yeah. In a, in a weird way, it is both very positive and very negative that we're saying Armstead's the biggest disappointment. And negative because he's one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid offensive lineman in football. But also positive words. We're just talking about, yeah, he's been hurt. Uh, but his backup's been fine, but we're just paying him too much. So in some ways, that's a good thing. some ways, it's not. Um, but it's not a conversation we wanted to have. But it's something I think we all, unfortunately, were expecting to happen. Um, so as we move on, I think it's time for less talk. Uh, this one's going to be a bit of an interesting conversation, I think. Uh, first, we are adding two people to the list. The one, and I kind of mentioned this before Jordan got in, I'm putting Elaine Pooper on the list uh, just for no other reason than he annoys me. He has like some of the worst football takes I've ever seen. And we haven't put him on yet because I haven't, I don't follow him on Twitter. I haven't muted on Twitter, so I don't see it, but I saw his name mentioned on Twitter. So it's not a list without him on the, without him on it. So Elaine Pooper, you're on the list just because I can't stand you. Um, Did you say Pooper? The name is P-O-U-P-A-R-T. So I don't know how it's pronounced, but I just call him Pooper. Pooper. Yeah. Um, he's on the list just because his name's Pooper. Yeah. He Did you say his of, first name was Elaine? Elaine, A L A I N, I believe. Elaine Pooper. Oof. Yeah. Some parents. He's, so, this is the one to think about. Like, this is a guy who two years ago, or maybe it was last year, it was our two years ago last year in training camp, he was talking about all the passes Tua was missing. He was naming all these scenarios. And literally, even beat writers like Omar Kelly, Adam Beasley, and uh, Armando Segaro were all tweeting back at him, being like, "We watched every pass. Where did you see this play? Because we didn't see it." So, 
he's always been a Tua hater, but he took it to the level where he was making stuff up about practice. So the fact that he's gone this long without us mentioning him is kind of kind of saying how far out of his mind out of his my mind he is. But I just wanted to add him because he's not on the list. Um, but the one to talk about, and it's one that you I think you wanted to talk about as well, um, is the uh, NFL Rookie Watch Twitter. Now, let me first phrase say this. C.J. Stroud's having a great rookie year. I think he is going to be a great quarterback for a long time. But the NFL Rookie Watch went with a troll post. Basically tried to get the hate to get to get um, interaction on Twitter. And he said, NFL teams besides the Texans that C.J. Stroud would automatically become QB1 on. And in fairness, I will agree with some of them. So, Jordan, I'm going to just name them in order that he has. And see if you agree with this. Would he start for the Jets over Zach Wilson? Yes. Would he start for the Dolphins over Tua? No. Would he start for the Patriots over Mac Jones? Yes. Would he start for the Ravens over Lamar Jackson? No. Would he start for the Steelers over Kenny Pickett? Yes. Okay. Would he start for the Browns over Deshaun Watson? Probably not, but it's it, it's close, but no. Okay. Would he start for the Colts over Gardner Menchio? Uh no. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Ty- yes, he would start over he Gardner. Start over yeah, but not Richardson, I'm guessing. Correct. Okay. Would he start for the Titans over Will Levis? Yes. Would he start for the Raiders over Aiden O'Connell? Yes. Would he start for the Broncos over Russell Wilson? No. Not the way Russell's playing right now, but um, I I think a lot of Broncos fans would want him over Wilson. See, it's a tough conversation with guys like Russell Wilson uh, because it's – I would take C.J. Stratton over Russell Wilson, but I don't know if today C.J. Stratton starts over Russell Wilson. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Uh, would he start over the Dak Prescott with the Cowboys? No, not today. But I would again, I would take him over Dak long term. Yep. Would he start over Sam Howell with the Commanders? Uh, you mind yes. Sam Howell? Is, yeah. I think I think that's a situation where I would take C.J. Stroud long term. But watching how the last couple of weeks, I think Commanders are happy with him, and he's they're giving him next year too. So I actually think that's a no. But I do think Stroud will be better long term. Um, he's going to start. We, I think we can agree he's going to start over Tommy DeVito with the Giants. Um, uh, would he yeah, start over, I'd say so. Yeah, would he start for over Jared Goff with Detroit? No, not at the moment. Would he start over Josh Dobbs with the Vikings? Yes, but well, Josh Dobbs is playing like Lamar Jackson, so yeah. Would he start over Jordan Love? Uh, yes. Would he start over Ty- uh, Justin Fields or Tyson Badgett with the Bears? Justin Fields, no, although I think their value is very similar right now. Um, Tyson Badgett, obviously, yes. Yeah. Would he start over Derek Carr? Yes. Would he start over Baker Mayfield? Yes. Would he start over Taylor Heineke? Yes. Would he start over Bryce Young? 
Yeah. I think he would, but I think I do think I, I think a lot I think a lot of people underestimate estimate how bad of a shit show Carolina is too. I, I think so if I you do. flip their situations, they probably look a lot similar right now. But if I don't know how much of the Houston game you watched yesterday, Brett. CJ Stroud just displays this confidence. He steps yep. up in the pocket, he throws the ball hard. I mean, he, he's he's a very, very confident quarterback. When I watch Bryce Young, and this is a, a nature of their situation, I don't see a confident quarterback. Yep. But again, like said, like you said, it's the situation and it's just it's just so bad. Like I watched the Panthers game against Chicago, and that offensive line has regressed so much, and I thought it would get better. But it's it's like Jesse Davis bad, bad. right now. Um, but on to more last couple. Would you would he start over Brock Purdy? Wow, that's a really close one. Um, I say yes, um, just simply because I think if C.J. Stroud. Uh, was drafted in San Francisco in the situation that they took Trey Lance. I don't think if I don't think Brock Purdy ever gets into the game. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, would you take? Would he start over Geno Smith? Yes. Would he but start over Brett? It's it's close. That Geno Goff category is, is close. Would he start over? Well, he'd start now that Matt Stafford said he'd start over Brett Rippey in in Los Angeles he, with the Rams. Yeah, I'd say so. And would he start over a now Kyler Murray with Arizona? Uh, it's very, very close. I'd say no, but I, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't call someone crazy if they told me they'd start Strat over Kyler. Right. So looking at that list, so this, Twitter page. What I said, I wouldn't start him over three guys, four guys. So you said Tua, Lamar, you were iffy on Deshaun, but you said no with how he's playing. You said he wouldn't start over how with Russ how he's playing. You said he probably wouldn't start over Dak. Um, I said Goff. You said Goff, and you also said Justin Fields, no. You said their value is similar. So seven. So there's seven guys you said he wouldn't walk in. And again, I'm using the keyword automatically become QB1 because that's their word. Uh, so he said he's saying that CJ Stroud would walk into the starting lineup as quarterback over every quarterback in the NFL, aside from Patrick Mahomes, which I agree he wouldn't, over Josh Allen, which I agree he wouldn't, but I don't think people are really understanding how poor Josh Allen's been this year. Um, over Trevor Lawrence, who again has been really poor, so he should be on the list. And I'd probably take Stroud over Lawrence. Um, over Jalen Hurts, who's kind of been iffy this year, and over Justin Herbert, who's has decent stats, but has he's been paid for cutting people. So the point is, I know Mr. S and a bunch of Dolphin fans want us to talk about it because as Tua, and that is a big reason for this discussion. But you can't say a rookie, no matter how good they've been, and CJ Stroud's been historically good, that they would automatically walk into any situation and be QB1. Offenses are all different. Situations are all different. The Texans one is the perfect one for CJ Stroud. He could walk in to the Raiders situation, and he may not be as good because of having to deal with Josh McDaniels. Can you imagine 
CJ Stroud dealing with the Matt Canada offense in Pittsburgh? No, Wouldn't be pretty. Like, like you said, it's all about um, situations. And luckily, CJ Stroud is in uh, by far the best situation for himself. He is. And that's the point. The point isn't all just because he's, this is technically a Tua hating post. The big reason this is on the list is I have seen far too often quarterbacks come out hot and fizzle out late. Do I think CJ Stroud will fizzle out? No, but we got to be patient with these players. We cannot be hyping them up as the, as the next big thing year one. That's how we end up with situations like Justin Herbert, where he becomes nothing but a fantasy quarterback. It's how we end up with someone like Kyler Murray, who puts up good stats, but doesn't win and doesn't deal with adversity well. And it's how we deal with people like Mac Jones being voted the 83rd best player in the NFL by NFL Network. So NFL Rookie Watch, you are on the list for setting unrealistic expectations and living in the moment. This is all about giving people time to develop so you don't set them up for failure. Yeah, I think that um, the fact that we either have even having these conversations is a, a testament to, and I feel like that's the word of the day, testament. Um, I, I feel like that's how you have to look at C.J. Stroud uh, and give him praise. Um, but I think at the same time, you have to be realistic. I'm going to allow him to naturally grow. Either way, um, the Texans look like they nailed that pick. They look like they nailed the Will Anderson pick. Um, and it looks like they're going to be good for a, a decently long time. So, so just enjoy it. And like I said earlier, Texans, just be patient. Stay the course. But it is time for us to sign off on this bye week. Before we head into our lit show later this week, do our picks. Jordan, do you have anything you wanted to add today? Uh, just uh, we got to continue growing. Um, and we got to, in the world, in the community, in Twitter, in real life, we got to um, all love each other and continue spreading positivity when we can. At the end of the day, we come on twice a week um, and we talk about football. This is fun. Um, we're very blessed to be able to do this. Um, and I hope when people are talking about football, listening about football, they're doing it, understanding that it's fun. It's not it's not life. Yep, absolutely. And as I mentioned before, this is male mental health month. So to all our listeners who are men and even females, make sure you take care of your mental health. But as always, for Jordan, for Zach, I'm Brett. This is The List, and we are watching Zach hit that music.